Oh my goodness. If you will, grab your seat. Grab those notes on your seat. You're saying, what notes? Well, you're probably sitting on them. If you will, go and grab them. My name is Josh. Welcome to the Clear Creek Church family. If this is your first Sunday with us, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. And, uh, you know, if you're part of the family, man, it's so good to see you. Welcome home. Uh, Every week, it feels like a mini family reunion because we get to see each other and be reminded that we are family because of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we'll say... We're not blood relatives. We're just, we're close. Because of Jesus Christ, everyone in this room, if you have given your life to God through the blood of Jesus, you are a blood sibling to those around you. It's because of Jesus. And so we celebrate him this morning. And if you don't hear anything else that we say today, hear this. Jesus is worthy of all of our praise because he has given his life so that you may have life. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, I would invite you before the morning is over, meet us at the next step table in the lobby. We'd like to share with you what it means to follow Jesus because it's not about you doing better. It's about you receiving his perfection. And so we'll talk to you about that. Our mission as a church is to reach the next person for Jesus. Why? Because every person matters to God. You are infinitely valuable. Don't believe the lies of those around you. You are infinitely valuable. It does not matter what you have done. It matters what he has done for you. And so we just want people to know Jesus. That's the bottom line. That's why we're here. And that at the end of life, if nothing else happens, but you know Jesus, you have lived a successful life. Grab those notes, please. We are in part five of eight in our series, Practicing the Way, which is a look at living a life like Jesus. Jesus once said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It was from that phrase, I am the way, that the early followers began identifying themselves and the Christian movement as followers of the way. The way of what? The way of Jesus, the practice of Jesus. There's a way that Jesus lived his life that, believe it or not, seemed to work pretty well. He was not anxious. He was not overcome by guilt. He was not frustrated. He dealt with people in a way that was gracious, but not so soft as to allow them around what is true. Jesus seemed to model life beautifully. There's a way of living that Jesus invited his followers and invites you and me into. And so we're going to look at, over the course of these next few weeks, just the remainder of the 15 spiritual practices that have been practiced now for Almost 2,000 years. And here's the good news. Here's the big idea for the entire series. It's simply this. You can effortlessly become like Jesus. How? By arranging your life around the same activities that Jesus arranged his life around. That it's not about trying harder or being better or, oh, I've got to work this way. No, 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 no. Arrange your life around the same activities Jesus arranged his life around. And you will eventually and almost effortlessly begin to do what Jesus would do if he were in your place. Here's a great example for you. You say, I want to lose weight. Great. Eat fewer calories and move more. That's it. Arrange your life around those two activities and inevitably, not by thinking harder or feeling deeper, you will begin to lose weight. It simply happens. In the same way as you organize your life around the practices of Jesus, you will become more like Jesus. And who in this world doesn't need a little bit more Jesus in their life? And so this morning, here's where I want to go with these next two. We've been going through a bunch of them. But this morning, and by the way, this all comes from a beautiful book by a man named Dallas Willard. It's sort of been our outline for this series called The Spirit of the Disciplines. But here's where I want to go this morning, a simple idea. Have you ever experienced heartbreak in this world? Have you ever been let down or let someone down? Have you ever felt fed up or wanted to give up? 
Have you ever had a moment where you thought your life was over only to find that the morning still came, but you kind of wish it didn't? Or maybe if you say, no, I've never had those moments, then the rest of us would say to you, just live a little longer because this world has a brilliant ability to beat out all that is good, all that is joyful. There is this pervasive difficulty in this world. It's almost as though we live in a broken world, (laughs) almost like the Bible is correct. So if you've lived more than two weeks and have gone through something difficult or you know that you one day will, I want to give you some great news. The two practices that we're looking at today are two of the key antidotes for dealing with despair and disappointment in this world. And in fact, the second one is my favorite of all the spiritual practices. But to get to that one, let's start with the first one. The very first practice that we're going to look at today is the spiritual practice of worship. The spiritual practice of worship. Let me pull up my notes. Here we go. Spiritual practice of worship. Now, every week we want to talk about what it is, why we do, and how we do it. So let's just sort of start with what is worship? If I were to ask you, what is worship? Most of us in this room might say something about what we're doing right here. You might say it's something you do on a Sunday. Or you might say, well, it's something you do with your voice. Or something that our musicians do with their instruments. But I want to show you that worship is a far deeper, more beautiful thing that every one of us can engage in. These are the words from Dallas Willard. Notice what Willard says. He says, In worship, we engage ourselves with, dwell upon, and express the greatness, beauty, and goodness of God through thought, the use of words, rituals, and symbols. Thought, words, rituals, and symbols. He goes on. We do this alone. You can do this by yourself. But we also do this as well in union with God's people. To worship is to see God as, now this is the key word, worthy. To worship is to see God as worthy, to ascribe great worth to him. In other words, worship is worth-ship. It is to say you are worthy. You are worthy. Worthy of what? Worthy of everything. Worthy of my life, of my praise, of my attention, of my energy, of my affection. You are worthy of it all. In fact, did you know that at every moment of every day, worship is taking place? Now, it may not take place in my heart or in my life or your heart in your life. may not even be happening in another corner of the world, but I can guarantee you this. Worship from the moment of creation has not ceased to take place This is what Revelation 4 and then Revelation 5 say. Revelation 4 says, the angels and the beings around God right now are crying out, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. All things were created. That means you, friend, were created by God. And by God's will, you were created and have your being, meaning you are who you are because God created you. Again, in chapter 5, Do not pay attention to this. It's chapter 5, verse 12, I believe. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. You almost sense that the writer cannot get enough words out. Like, he's worthy of this and this and this and this. It's like, he's just worthy of it all. Worship is worth Now, let me give you a couple things worship is not. Number one, worship is not just an emotional an emotional experience. 
It is not simply what you feel inside. Now, when you are in a moment of praise, you will often feel something deeply as well. But please do not confuse a feeling with worship. Worship may include feelings, but it does not mean you're worshiping if you feel something. Did you know that? In fact, there's this interesting interplay between worship and one of the other practices. Willard talks about this, that there's another another spiritual practice that we looked at two weeks ago, the spiritual practice of study. And study is one of those unique things that actually helps our worship. He writes this, the study of God and his word, notice this, opens the way for the disciplines of worship and celebration. What is he saying? Study goes hand in hand with worship. As you learn more about God, it should call you to say, wow, which is worship. So you say, wow. And then as you go, wow, that says, if he's this cool with what I know, what else could I learn? How could I find out how much neater he really is? So worship then draws you back into study. And as you learn more, it calls you back into worship. It is this beautiful cycle from study and worship. Now hear me very carefully. When we divorce worship from study, we're divorcing our head from our hearts. There are people who know a lot about God but feel very shallow toward him because they do not worship about God what they know. Then there are other people who do not have study in their life but they want to manufacture or create in a deep emotional experience. It's like, if I cried, it was a great worship experience. It was great. Maybe. Some people who want to worship God without knowledge of God are actually worshiping emotion and experience and they are not worshiping God. This is why these go together. Let me give you a simple example. I was thinking about it earlier this week. I've been married, at the end of this year, I will have been married for 18 years. Thank you, Lord, for a wife who overlooks so many issues. And I'm so glad to tell you that Lindsay says she's going to re-up my contract at the end of the year. So it'll be good. You'll still have her with you as well, which is great. Here's the cool thing about being married. As I've gotten to know more about my wife, I have grown to love her more. And then I want to say things to her like, you are just so good. You are so sweet. Thank you for dinner. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for putting up with me. Thank you for this. I just get this joy of saying, oh, you're so good. And then as I get to know her more, I'm like, oh, so I'm going to celebrate it. Thank her. And then I want to get to know her more. In other words, as I've gotten to know her, I want to celebrate her to her. Now, can you imagine what it would be like, though? For, just, just for a moment, imagine. Can you imagine what it would be like? If I roll in here, I'm like, I just love my wife. But I know nothing about her. She is a beautiful six foot five Amazonian babe. And she's got beautiful golden locks. Some of you are going, that ain't your wife, bro. But some of us treat God the same way. We are worshiping a God that we don't even know. This is why worship is not simply an emotional experience, but it is informed by what we know about God. Number two, this is so important. Worship also is not limited to a specific place or a specific activity. It is not limited to a specific place or activity, meaning you don't have to come to this building to worship God, and you don't have to sing to worship God. Did you know sometimes the most spiritual places, the most worshipful moments in my life have been when I'm by myself in the woods? Not lost, but intentionally in the woods. I want to be clear on that. When I see the grandeur of what's around me, I just go, wow, what kind of God would create this and that? How do you love me so much to place me in a place like this? Worship is not limited to a particular place 
or activity. Now, one very interesting thing will happen. Sometimes when you worship God, you will find and feel that his presence is deeper and more near than other times. Just, just if you feel comfortable, raise your hand if you've ever had a moment while praising God where you felt his nearness more deeply. Anyone else in this room like that? Yeah. That is called the manifest presence of God. And it happens sometimes in moments of worship. Now, here's what's very important for you to hear. God is always just as near to you even when you don't feel it. Your feeling doesn't determine God's nearness. But there are moments where his nearness is more keenly felt and expressed. And those are sweet moments, but hear me now. You do not need to be in a particular place doing particular activities or experiencing an emotional moment to worship God. So what is worship? Worship is giving worship to God. Why do we worship? That's the big question. Why in the world would we do this? Let me give you just a couple things here. Worship is the gift you give to yourself. What do I mean by that? Worship is something you were designed to do. Let me prove it to you. Have you ever had a moment where you experienced something really, really good and what did you want to do next? Tell someone about it. So you go to a restaurant and you have a great meal. What do you want to do? Oh, you got to try this place. Their guacamole is magnificent. Or you go to a movie and it just blows your mind. What do you want to do? You want to tell someone, this is a great movie. The special effects, the acting, the music, the directing, it was awesome. You and I were made to worship or give worth to something. And what most of us live our whole lives doing is giving worth to small things that cannot fill the great void of our lives. So we do experience it and we want to share it. Have you ever had a moment you wanted to share something but you couldn't? Let me put it this way. How many of you knew a secret? Maybe it's a birthday party or it's a Christmas gift or it's a trip someone's going to get a go on and you're not allowed to tell just yet. By the way, anyone else in here really bad at keeping secrets? Anyone else in here? Okay, look at the hands around you. Do not tell them anything, okay? But that's an expression of the desire to share the goodness of God. He made you not simply to experience it, but to share it. My buddy Chris right here, Blazik, we were at their house a week ago enjoying a bonfire together. And he and I sat and we talked about places around the U.S. that we'd love to go or that we've been. And he would tell me some places he's been that I've not. I told him about some places I've been that he's not. And that was fun to talk about those places, but I'll tell you. My favorite moments was in you and I were talking about places we've both been. When we talked about the Grand Canyon. Because there's this moment where when you get to share with another person the experience, it deepens it, doesn't it? When you say to God, you are incredible for this, 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 and this reason. By the way, God doesn't need your praise. He's not a narcissist. He's not some insecure child who needs to know how good he is. Please tell me. He gives you the gift of worship because you need to have something on which to heap praise. And he's the only one big enough to receive it all. So write this down. Why? Worship frees us. There it is again. All of these practices are freedom practices. They lead us to a freedom that frees us to respond in our ways to God's grace, holiness, goodness, and awesomeness. His awesomeness. You are so good. You are so big. You're so incredible. So here's the question. How do we worship? Let me give you a couple things real fast. First, a couple caveats. Number one, worship is not simply singing. How many of you are excited to know that worship is not just about singing? I know some of y'all, you're like me. You're jailhouse singers. I've said this before. What's a jailhouse singer? That's a person is four bars behind and can't find the key, Okay. Some of you go and praise God. Singing is not the only way to worship God. Absolutely. It is a way, not the only way. 
Also, let me give you one other thing that might give you some encouragement here. For some of us, I'm included, it's hard for me to sustain long periods of praise. It'd be like going to your wife or your spouse and saying, oh, you're awesome for 30 minutes. Ah, that's hard. So let me give you a couple ways that you can practice praise very easily starting today. And I would encourage you, pick a way to praise God this week, to worship him. The first one is simply this. I would invite you to lift your heart, your voice, and your hands. In other words, your heart, what's inside of you, and then also your body. Your body is one of the ways that you can express worship I know some of us, we, we sort of have that awkward feeling when we raise hands because that's not what we've always done growing up. And, and then we all joke about the different ways to worship God. You've heard these, right? You know, you'll have like people who they praise right here and then there are other people who praise right here. Whenever I see someone praising like this, you know what I always make? I'm sorry, this is just a preacher moment here. Do you guys remember those deodorant commercials that we grew up with? Like, we're like, they're sure or they're not so sure. Anyone else know what I'm talking Oh, you could at least, you know, nod your head instead of me going, okay, no one else. All right. That's what I think of when I think of this. But when we raise our hands, we are telling our minds through our bodies what we want it to think and feel. Sometimes our minds inform our actions, but often our actions inform our minds. If you want to worship God, find a way to posture yourself this week. Maybe as you're going for a walk, maybe just put, maybe if you're like me, you just kind of pull them out of the pocket a little bit and just kind of do this number if you're a little nervous. Or maybe you want to kneel in prayer. Or maybe you want to lay face down. Or maybe you simply want to close your eyes or raise your hands. But use your body. That's one of the gifts that God gives us when it comes to worshiping him. Second way that I would encourage you to try practicing worship this week is simply this. Read through the Lord's Prayer or maybe the 23rd Psalm. But pause after each line to fill in worship in your own words. Remember, I said study and worship go hand in hand. So what you do, for instance, if you use the 23rd Psalm, which I love, the Lord is my shepherd. Pause. What does that mean? Oh my goodness. He chose me to be his sheep. And every good shepherd knows the name of his sheep and calls his sheep by name. God knows my name. Thank you for knowing my name. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for not leaving me. When I ran off and found myself in the ditch, you came and found me and picked me up and carried me home. How many of us could say that's my testimony? God found me and carried me home. The Lord is my shepherd. And then you say, I shall not want. What does that mean? It means that there are so many things that distract all the shiny objects, but God, you are the one who supplies my every true deepest need. Wow, thank you. And as you do this, you will find that moments of worship just spontaneously explode, not on a Sunday morning, but on a Thursday afternoon. It can happen anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Now, that's worship. The second one goes hand in glove with worship. We're gonna go a couple minutes long today. Hang in with me, but I'm gonna try to move fast. Are you ready? Before we jump into the second one, here's what I want to do, though. I want to get your help. And here's the way I need your help. Real quick, someone, just call out what your favorite, one of your favorite foods. Just real loud. What's a favorite food? Guacamole. Guacamole. I'm not spelling that, but I'll do this. Guacamole, okay? Guacamole, someone else. Gumbo? You are the man. All right, gumbo. Anyone else know what gumbo is? Anyone else like gumbo? You are God's people. I love it. Yeah, okay. Someone else, what do you like? Did I hear sushi? Yes, praise God. All right. Now, just for those who are going, that's gross. Let's say this. Let's say pizza. Anyone else like pizza? What about steak? Anyone like steak? Oh, oh, especially when it has that that, that little sizzle, little crisp around the edge, but not so crisp on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? Mmm. 
when is Diggs going to finish this sermon? We got to get to lunch. All right, let's move on to this next part. What's a favorite activity? Something you just love to do. Juggling. All right, juggling. Okay, someone else. Camping. Oh, man, I love this. Someone else. Reading. Who said reading? Raise your hand. Okay, let me just say this. During first service, all the kids were saying things that were active. And then when we said reading, all the grown-ups said reading. You are such a mature young lady. Children, look at this young one. Be like her. Reading, absolutely. Okay, let's do this. Uh, do you have like a favorite um, piece of clothing? Uh, okay, before you yell it out, think about it before you say it, okay? Like, is it something we should share, Okay. Like, does anyone have a favorite hat that you like? Anyone favorite hat that you like to wear? Okay, we got a favorite hat back here, over here. What about, um, oh, oh, do, maybe favorite slippers, anyone? Oh, so, so maybe it's a favorite hat or slippers? Your as-you-go shirt. Your as-you-go shirt. Oh, I love it. Suck up. All right. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I love it. What does this have to do with the next spiritual practice? Here's the good news. If you have a favorite food, activity, clothing, or I could have put a favorite person you like to be with, but I didn't do that. Because if I asked you to call out a favorite person and you're married and you didn't call it your spouse, that would start a fight. And that's not what we're trying to get at here, okay? But if you have a favorite of anything, you are already ready to do this next practice. Are you ready what it is? It is the spiritual practice of celebration. Let me tell you what it is. This is from Willard's book. Here is one of the most important disciplines of engagement. So we do this. Yet most overlooked and misunderstood, meaning a lot of us don't understand it and don't do it. It is the completion of worship. For it dwells on the greatness of God as shown in his goodness to us. We engage in celebration when we, notice this, key word, enjoy. When we enjoy ourselves, our lives, our world, in conjunction, meaning along with our faith and confidence in God's greatness, beauty, and goodness, we concentrate on our life and world as God's work and as God's gift to us. What is celebration? It's where you say, thank you for filling your favorite. Thank you for the taste of guacamole. Thank you for these cozy clothes. Thank you for this relationship. That is the practice of celebration. This is my favorite practice of all of them. And here's what it reminds us of from James, that every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights. There's not one good gift you have that did not come from God. Yeah, but I don't know God. I don't believe in God. He's not real. Guess what? He gives good gifts even to those who do not yet know him. He's a gracious God. And every good gift you've ever received is because his grace is to you. His love is to you. And celebration is one of those moments where we get to say, wow, thank you for what you have done. And there are myriad examples throughout scripture. Now, let me give you one thing first. This is also from Will. He says, typically, this means that we come together, notice that word, together, with others who know God to eat, to drink, to sing, to, oh, sorry, to choreograph, And to relate stories of God's action for our lives and our people. 
See, celebration is not simply something we do by ourselves. It's something we get to do with those that we love and like and do life with. And there's so many different examples of this throughout the scriptures. So for instance, David, the king of the Old Testament, we're told, danced before the Lord. How many of us would have loved to have seen what that looked like? In John chapter 2, Jesus himself went to a wedding. Why? To celebrate. Because life is good. Marriage is to be celebrated and enjoyed. But Willard, he makes this incredible point. He says, celebration is nowhere more clearly displayed in the Bible than in Deuteronomy chapter 14. You say, what happened in Deuteronomy chapter 14? I'm glad you asked. Here's what it says. It's an amazing passage, by the way. The Israelites were required to give a tithe. That means 10% of their income of goods. They were going to give 10% of their goods for a big feast in the big city of Jerusalem. Not a religious obligation because they would have loved getting to do this. They're basically saving up stuff for a big feast in the big city of Jerusalem. Now, Willard makes this point. He says, if the city was too far away for them to carry their own produce, the tithe was to be sold for money and the money taken to Jerusalem where, are you ready for this? This is what it says, Deuteronomy 14. You shall bestow that money. For whatever your soul lusteth after, for oxen or for sheep or for wine or for strong drink or for whatsoever your heart or soul desires, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. What's he saying here? God actually created a feast that the sole purpose is for you to go and just say, Yay, God, thank you. I love this. Thank you so much. By the way, where was this verse when I was being grown up, when I was being taught? That this idea that God wants to hear, yea, God, for the good gifts that he has given you. Now, a quick note. I need to just say this. For some, we see this and we get nervous. Willard goes on to say he's not promoting drunkenness or overconsumption of alcohol. That is one of the great blights on human history and our country. But hear me now. Please hear me. If you have a problem with drinking, yes, avoid it. But friends... God's gifts are to be enjoyed in moderation, but they are to be enjoyed. Every one of them. It is the devil who takes what is good and twists it for evil. It is not God who gives you a bad gift. And so he says, enjoy it all. So what is it that you enjoy to do? What do you enjoy to eat? What do you, who do you enjoy to be around? Do those things and in the moment go, wow, thank you, God. So why should we do this? I go back to what I said earlier. This world will beat you down, won't it? Yesterday morning, received a text message from one of our dearest friends, Daryl Arendale. He is one of the elders in our church. Yesterday morning, his mama passed away. Does life hurt sometimes? Many of you in this room, you've lost loved ones over the past couple of years, and it is just this ache that doesn't go away. There are those in this room, you've been betrayed by someone and you still don't know what you're going to do about it. Or you have a health issue or a crisis that you can't fix and the doctors don't know what to do with. Why celebrate? Here it is. Celebration frees us from despair and it trains us and trains our lives for joy. How do you overcome the despair? How do you overcome what is going on? Jesus, we are told, was a man of sorrow, acquainted with pain and the problems of the world, and yet he was never crushed by them. Somehow, he still had this effervescent joy that was just 
like a fountain that kept going. And then he makes a statement that when we come to him, when we enjoy him, when we seek him, that, that fountain flows from and through and out of us. Celebration trains you for joy. It is the antidote to so many of the things that you and I face in this life. Willard says this, he says, This world is radically unsuited to the heart of the human person, and the suffering and terror of life will not be removed no matter how spiritual we become. Suffering is a reality. And he knew firsthand when he was two years old, his mother passed away, this little two-year-old boy. And he says that one of his earliest memories was trying to crawl into the casket with his mother. He and three other siblings, his daddy remarried, and the woman that he married did not want to raise children, especially a toddler. And yet those who knew him up until the day that Willard died would say he was one of the most joyful people they have ever met. Why? Because he simply practiced the way of Jesus. In the moments when he saw something good that God had done, he got so good at simply saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Have you ever considered this? Why do you have to eat? Who came up with the idea of food? God. Anyone want to say, yay, God, to that? Or how about this one? Why is that food tastes good instead of just being like, yeah? It's because someone came up with this idea of taste buds. Who came up with the idea of taste buds? God. By the way, taste buds don't actually help the nutrients get down any faster. What are taste buds for? So you enjoy what you're eating. Or so that you learn that broccoli is really from the devil. It was not made by God. One of those two things. So what do you do? You enjoy the taste buds. God, before time began, said, I will create certain flavors that if this one placed with that one come together, it creates a totally new experience. And so if you get steak and guacamole and cheese and a tortilla, you have what is one of the evidences that there is a God. It is delicious. And we could go down the list. Why is it that when a husband and a wife have a child, it's an enjoyable experience? I'm trying to be delicate, but you understand what I'm saying. Who came up with this idea? God is not the great killjoy in the sky, deeming things to take from you. He is the great giver who says, enjoy my children. Just remember me and understand that everything I give you is intended to draw your gaze to me. This is what C.S. Lewis understood so clearly when he wrote, I have tried to make every pleasure into a channel of adoration or celebration. I don't mean simply by giving thanks for it. One must, of course, give thanks, but I mean something different. One's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. We enjoy the warmth and the light of the sun, the sunbeams, the gifts, but it should always raise our gaze to the source saying, thank you. My grandmother died in 2004. She was one of my best buddies and we loved to go see her in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And when I was real little, I always loved going and seeing her because she always gave us really fun stuff. Like she bought like Coke that we could drink. Not like, not like my parents, what they bought. They brought like the Sam's Choice or the off-brand stuff. It's because they didn't really love us, but my grandma, she loved us. And so she had the real stuff and all that you could drink. And she'd have little gifts for us and things. And so when I was little, I'd go to grandma's house because I loved the things she gave me. But here's the thing. As you grow up and as you mature, what ends up happening is you stop just liking the gifts. You look forward to the giver. I got to the point, the gifts were not important. It's like, I just want to see my grandma. See, celebration is the thing that raises our gaze from the despair of the moment. It does not erase the problems, but it reminds us there is joy. 
Joy everlasting, Scripture says. And there will come a day, my friend, no matter what you are facing in this moment, where the joy of the Lord will not simply be something you feel in sort of a way around you, but it will course through you. And forever and ever, you will see not simply the face of God, but you will see the face of joy himself. And on the side, we get to practice it. It is a way to train our lives, to train ourselves against despair and to say, there is joy, that life is not over. Things still go on. God is still good for he gives us these moments to celebrate. So how do we do this? Very quickly, two things I would recommend. If you want to just try it a little bit this morning, number one, I would invite you to choose a fun day where you will eat, do, and be with people who spark joy. For my family, that fun day is Sunday. We call it our Sunday fun day. What do we do on Sunday fun day? Well, we get to eat as many desserts as we want. We avoid all the green vegetables. Thank you, Lord. We eat food. We watch shows. It's one day a week that we let our kids watch as much TV as they want. We go outside. We ride bikes together as a family. We take naps. We do whatever it is that sparks joy. We'll get together with friends. It is the day that we say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And we celebrate. This is my favorite day of the week. I can't wait to leave you guys and go home and hang out with my family. No offense. So pick a fun day, pick a day where you'll just say today's a day to celebrate the goodness of God. And number two, set a daily, what I call joy timer, just a joy timer. And when it goes off, thank God for whatever you're doing. Now, some of you are saying, I'm in a difficult conversation with the boss. How can I thank God? Thank God that you have a job. Well, you know, I'm stuck in traffic. I'm trying to get here, but you know, the things are going on. Thank God that you're in a vehicle. Well, you know, I've got this situation. Thank God. Thank God. And some moments it will happen when something unexpected is going on that you would otherwise miss and it goes off. You go, oh, thank you for this moment. As you practice this, what you will find is that the dark days are not quite as dark. And the bright day of the future when Jesus returns will become more and more beautiful to you. Do you want to know how to overcome the despair of this world? You worship God with abandon. He is worthy of it all. And then you celebrate his good gifts saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, I thank you this morning for the gift of your word, the scriptures that are given to us. We thank you that you give us a family called the church. We thank you for those who are sitting around us. Father, there's different health levels in this room and some are dealing with incredibly difficult things. First, I pray for their healing and ask that you would deliver them from that. And even if you don't, we thank you for the health we have and the assurance that one day the dead will rise and will be given glorified bodies that will never again be touched by cancer, disease, death, or pain. We thank you this morning that you forgive us of our sins. I thank you that you do not look on me. You do not look on me as the sinful man that I am, but you see me as your loving son who you paid for. And for everyone in this room who has said yes to you in baptism, we thank you that you see children in this room. We thank you that Jesus is alive. And there's coming a day when we will see him face to face. 
But until that point, may we rejoice in your goodness, giving you worthy praise, for you are the good God. We now thank you in Jesus' name. And all those who agreed said...